This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody, we're live. Another Forever Mighty show. I'm not going to say post-game like I did. It's a uh, season recap show for the Ducks. We heard everyone talking about it uh, in, in the chat of our last show for the unfortunate events that happened in game four. But hey, we everyone wanted another show coming around, so we decided why not bring it back. It's good to be back on call with you, Eddie. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I mean, we're yeah, like you said, we're responding to the demand you guys had on the last show. It was well received. It was well heard. And uh, we wanted to get back to you guys with some content for, for being just great listeners, really, throughout the entire season. I mean, we... I don't think we expected the success that we had on the post game show at least this quickly, and it's been a great response, and it's great to be back. And you know, we wish it was in better circumstances, and it was a second round, and we'd be continuing the post game show. But it's still nice to talk ducks hockey, and there's a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, there was a lot happening uh, in the ducks organization. Obviously, recently player interviews after the or the exit interviews, GM Bob Murray's comments, some coaching things that happened. So plenty of things on the agenda to talk about. Um, just kind of putting this out there. Our biggest show of the year, Eddie, was uh, Game 3, the 8-1 to loss. <laughs> yeah, for I listens, lives, chats. <laughs> Amazing people tuned in for the to uh, Harris talk about the bloodbath that was our Ducks um, against the Sharks that game. But uh, obviously, like Eddie said, there is no post-game. This is all post uh, season, I guess, recap. So we're going to be getting into it here in a minute. Let's, uh, let's get... Let's get the, uh, the intro going and get started. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry scoops. Corey Perry. Well, able to shake away from Solani. It's given away to Solani. Around in front. Score! Tamo Solani with the steal. Perry in the fans want one. I guess where better to start than with the most recent news, which came out today, and Trent Yanni is not getting his contract renewed with the Anaheim Ducks. Uh, strange um, that they yeah. didn't let go of somebody else. Uh, that's the one that everyone's kind of been <laughs> clamoring for. You know, first everyone wanted Bruce out, and then everyone's kind of like, huh, oh, Randy's coming back. Oh, you know, hey, maybe we're going to get a Stanley Cup because, you know, why not? It's been 10 years, and then... Now we're in a couple of seasons of Randy, and everyone wants Randy gone. Um, unfortunately, Trent Yanni's never been like, go, but he just didn't have his contract renewed. So now the Ducks sit without an assistant coach. Interesting. Um, where do you think this is going to be, like, moving Anaheim going forward? Do you think this is going to be a call-up from the AHL? you think Dallas Aikens is going to get a call for the job, or is it going to be somebody, you know, I guess less – 
uh, I don't know, less famous, I guess you could say, in the coaching circles, more of a no-name guy that's going to come in and help out? Yeah, I mean, because it was interesting when Steve Konowalczuk became an assistant coach for the Ducks, and it was, I believe, at the beginning of last season, where he had a, I guess you could call it a surprise run with Seattle into the, to the WHL playoffs, and they won a, a championship in the WHL. And then he gets a... Uh, he gets the call to come and, and be an assistant coach for the Ducks, and that was, I guess, a surprise. And if you were going to look for another surprise, maybe you'd see something like that where they go back to the CHL, maybe they go to college, maybe they go to uh, to the uh, AHL as well and bring up a guy. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see what they do because if they bring a guy in who you think is very close to being an NHL coach, uh, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Randy Kyle if he doesn't already have that on him. Uh, but Dallas Eakins would probably be the guy that would put the most pressure on him, you'd have to think. It's basically like, here's a guy right now who's probably the closest behind, right behind him to, to come in and take his job. And we're going to put him right on the same bench with you and, and kind of put that fire right under your seat. So it'll be interesting to see where they go because from the comments that Murray had, he, he still says he's confident in what Randy Carlisle can do and he's hoping to field him a healthy team at the start of the season so i mean if the pressure wasn't on he kind of got a mulligan this year it's definitely going to be on at the start of next year really no matter who they hire it's going to be interesting um i'm not sure where they're going to go with it but if you look at what he was in charge he was obviously in charge of the defense um i mean you can say what you want about how the defense i guess didn't show up in the playoffs but i mean that was mostly that third pair they got eaten alive um, when you look at the penalty kill, regular season, it ranked really well. Ducks had shorthanded goals. They played well. I mean, that's also got a lot to do with our goaltending. I mean, you can't really say anything negatively about Ryan Miller or John Gibson in the regular season. So, you know, obviously that did help out the penalty kill. But, I mean, Trent Yanni, I don't know, kind of leaves a hole. Uh, he's been a face that's been there. I think a couple of times he's been with Anaheim, he's left and come back. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the rumor that I heard... And, and I swear I said it on the show. If anyone listening has listened to us and has like a way better memory than I do, which I'm sure a lot of people do, um, I'd mentioned there was a feud going on in the locker room uh, between Trent Yanni and Randy Carlisle. And obviously when that happens, it's the head coach is going to get to say who's his, who his uh, assistants are. So Trent Yanni is gone. Um, Carlisle here to stay. But getting back to, to Trent Yanni, I mean, shoot, you go to the playoffs, I guess you look at the defensive structure there. I don't know what you could say about what he did wrong, more or less. He's just playing the guys that have, that he's being told to play. Yeah. Um, what works in the regular season, I guess, doesn't always translate into the postseason. But I feel like this is more of a head coaching issue than it is going to be a Trent Yanni issue. So I'm kind of worried about the Ducks going forward, Eddie. I, I feel like they should really be taking a hard look and not give him a mulligan. I know we said that he's going to get one because of all the injuries, but Randy Carlisle should feel the heat because I think he dodged a bullet here. Oh, for sure. I mean, getting rid of Trent doesn't solve the Ducks' issues magically, and they come back next year as a completely changed team. I mean, this is Randy Carlisle's team, and a lot of the issues are, are really at his fault, even though he is being uh, given that extra year this year that we didn't expect him to be back for because of, of obviously, the Ducks' postseason trials. But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things here that, I mean, you can't really blame Trent Yanni for. You look at the, especially going to the playoffs, what he had available for him. I mean, with Cam Fowler out of the lineup, there's not much else you could do. The PK, again, 
I think it was inflated, and we talked about this even in our in our series preview, and even at the end of the series as well. How it was really helped out by goaltending, and Murray put it in, in a quote uh, that covered it perfectly, where he said goaltending covers up a lot of crap, and it did, especially on the penalty kill. I mean, the Ducks penalty kill, I think it was ranked fifth in the regular season, uh, but I, I feel like with an average goaltender, that's probably a bottom half penalty kill because of how well John Gibson and at times Ryan Miller had to be to to really stop teams from scoring uh, on their power play. So it's interesting. And and I feel like you are right in the sense that this is more of a Randy Carlisle issue. And I don't think anybody out there believes getting rid of Trent Yanni is all of a sudden going to change this team. It might help move them a bit in a different direction. And I think that's why, again, he wasn't fired. He just didn't have his contract extended. So they're looking to move a bit in a, a new direction and starting with getting rid of him. And I think uh, this is the same situation we could see with Randy Carlisle next year where his contract is up at the end of the season with a team option if they wanted to extend him to 2019-2020. So they have the option to just let him go at the end of next season if things don't go their way. Yeah, well, I mean, this kind of all circles back around to Bob Murray and what he can provide his coaching staff. Um, I know we'll get to his stuff in a bit, talking about playing faster and all. It's kind of tough. With uh, the roster at hand, you know, possibly all around, they, they need to make some some adjustments and tweaks. But uh, do you want to hop into a position by position season review, or where do you want to go? Yeah, I think so. I, I feel like getting started with the season review is probably a good way to break into the off season and what the Ducks need. I mean, we have a lot of content from the exit interviews, just from them, plus the draft, free agency, a lot of stuff going on. But I feel like it all stems obviously from where the Ducks did this season. So. I don't know. I think a good starting point is probably defense. I feel like that's probably the, the main issue when you looked at them Ducks going into the playoffs with Fowler out. So I guess we can start there. Yeah, it translates well from just talking about Trent Yanni. Uh, Fowler obviously talked about, he said he had a grade three separation of his shoulder. Um, you guys you can call me a doctor now because I predicted it was a shoulder, a shoulder separation. So I know what my next job's going to be. Uh, Fowler was <laughs> just, I don't know. You can't make up for that loss in the playoffs. Yeah. That deeply hurt Anaheim, as we all know. I'm not trying to sound like a broken record, but uh, it's just looking into next season. Uh, Fowler's going to be healthy, and that's all good news. But there's some things missing from this defensive uh, defensive scheme. No matter who comes in and is a coach, there's no Boschman, no Bieksa, which I know everyone's applauding because we need to get younger and faster as the rest of the league you know, is, is moving past the Ducks in, in, uh, in that regard. But the question comes around. I know you love Ian Cole, as you said. Um, <laughs> I really feel like there needs – and I, oh, I'm not picking on it, but I really feel like yeah. there needs to be a microscope on that third pairing. Um, say what you want about how deep this Ducks defensive uh, core is. It got burned, and it kind of throws out the question, uh, do the Ducks have a legitimate number one defenseman, or are they just running it by committee? And do they really even need one? That's my biggest question looking at this because there's a lot of really good young players, but you don't have a Seth Jones, right? You don't have yeah. a P.K. Subban. You don't have that type of player. You don't have a Drew Doughty. You don't have an Eric Carlson. I mean, those guys are fantastic and a needle in a haystack in a draft. But is, do you think this is something the Ducks are sorely missing? I, I don't necessarily think you need one. Like, Let's just, for example, look at the teams that have moved on to the second round of the playoffs and who has a franchise defenseman and who doesn't. So 
if you look at the Predators, obviously P.K. Subban up for Norris. He's already won one. And, I mean, you would consider him obviously a franchise defenseman. He's a number one guy. Roman Yossi, I think, is uh, is probably on that border. I would assume he's probably more of a number two guy. And then they, they kind of win it by committee outside of P.K. Subban. The Golden Knights, they don't have a number one guy. It's more of... And I feel like this is kind of an outlier where you don't expect them to really be in this position. But... Uh, you know they have a lot of good guys who have stepped up this year, and they've won it by committee, like you said. Uh, the Jets, I don't think you can consider anybody on the Jets a number one guy. Dustin Bufflin is probably the closest guy, but I don't think he's a number one. Uh, I feel like they really rely on the strength of, of just having six guys who can routinely get it done. Uh, the Sharks, again, is Brent Burns, Hedman for the Lightning. The Capitals, John Carlson, again, is another guy you can argue. I feel like he should have Borderline. Yeah, I feel like he should have been up for a Norris this year. Kind of got the snub a bit. Uh, Penguins, again, I, I mean, you can you can still consider Chris Letang a number one guy with the injuries he's had. I feel like he's kind of tailed off a bit. And it's more, again, of, of guys like having Schultz in there, having Dumoulin in there, who's a, a serviceable top four guy, and just kind of having those depth guys in there. And then the last two teams in here, in the Leafs and the Bruins, and you don't have really have a number one guy on there either. So... I think it depends on the team, and I honestly don't think the Ducks really need that number one guy because I feel like when you have a top four of Lindholm, Manson, Fowler, and uh, Montour, I feel like that's good enough. I mean, those are all guys who are top four guys. Lindholm, I think, is a top two guy, and and Fowler, I think he's borderline. I feel like he's like a, a one, two, three guy. I feel like he's a guy that can fit anywhere in that top four and do well. Uh, but the question then do, does come down to that bottom pairing because all these teams who have gone deep in the playoffs so far, they all have a third pairing that is at least somewhat capable of, of playing some consistent hockey in the NHL. And the Ducks don't have that. I mean, you had BX and Boschman who are now gone. You're playing Pedersen and Walensky down there. Again, you don't really know if that's going to be much better next year. And then you're, you're hoping, you're really hoping that Larson is going to be the guy you expected but that's a lot to, to bank on going into next season, really. You're going to be playing kids on that pairing, and you know you're going to have to play them a lot more. Based on, even just off Murray's comments about the forwards, how you know he wants to play them more often than they were playing on the fourth line, you would assume that extends down to the bottom pairing as well. So something something needs to change. Because I don't think you can go into the, the start of next season with the kids on that third pairing. You have to get at least one guy in there that you can consistently play and lie on. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I, I mean, you got to have some seasoned guy in the back end to help out the kids, uh, which I think has always been a little overplayed about the leadership aspect, um, you know, what kind of quality that's going to give a player. Yeah. But it does help, and you need to have somebody out there that's, you know, the Bob Murray special, the Randy Carlisle special. And, you know, I know what you're going to give me every single night, and I'll go out there and do what you do. Yeah. Uh, but somebody, you know, a little, little more fleet of foot than the guys that have been in that spot. Um, speaking to, to Boschman, who's now retired, and, and Bieksa, who, from all accounts, um, is just he has said everything but not, not coming back, back to Anaheim, just based on his comments. Um, so, yeah, they got some work. Um, I would feel like they need to get – I mean, it's nice to have, but I feel like they need to have somebody um, to perhaps kind of take reign on that defense and be that number one guy. Like, oh, he's the minute eater. I mean, right now it's Fowler and Montour. They share the, you know, the monster yeah. load of the minutes. Um, I mean, I guess you don't absolutely need it if you can plug the holes on the ship everywhere else. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, most legitimate Stanley Cup contenders have that guy. 
right? Yeah, I mean, I, look at look at all the guys who look at all the teams that have won the cup in the past decade. The last Chris two Latang. times, no. Is but is he? Is he? I mean, I'd have to look at it. And I'm sure he was leading them in points from the blue line, but I find it difficult to to task him in, in the same level as a PK Subban and a Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. I feel like he's he's one step down. And and you know, Gordon Bombay brings up a good point in the chat. He says, I think you either need a franchise defenseman. Or a six-man deep blue line. I feel like that's that's the way you win cups. And I'd, again, you'd have to look at. I mean, most cup champions probably have a franchise defenseman. You look at the Blackhawks when they won, and it was Duncan Keith. You look at the Kings when they won, it was Drew Doughty. I guess you can argue with the Penguins that it was Crystal Tang. I feel like that that is an argument you can have that he is considered a franchise defenseman. But most teams do. But I, I think you can at least go far. Maybe not win it without a franchise defenseman. But I feel like you can go far enough with at least having six men capable of playing consistent minutes in the National Hockey League and the Ducks don't have that. And that's something they're going to have to to look through. And even Derek brings up, he says, yeah, our third pairing needs to be real deep for a good postseason run. And I believe that. I mean, you can't can't expect the Ducks to go far. And yes, they had a lot of other issues, but with the third pairing they presented in that that first round series, you know, there's not much you can expect for that, especially with Cam Fowler out. So Anaheim Ducks 2007, Scott Niedemeyer, Chris Pronger, Detroit Red Wings, we all know about Nicholas Lidstrom. Yeah. 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins, looking at Chris Letang. Blackhawks, 2010 Duncan Keith. Boston Bruins, 2011 Zidane Ochara. 2012 Dowdy. 2013 Keith. 2014 Dowdy. 2015 yeah. Keith. F those two teams. Um, and then Pittsburgh, obviously, back to back. They also had Malkin and Crosby, which is just. Exactly. Everyone says Taves, Kane, but give me a break. I mean, Malkin and Crosby are just just another level that's another level and they both play really good two-way games i feel like um so that also helps out on the defensive side of things and i know that schultz played really well for them right um yeah. when they were without Latang, when Latang had all those crazy injuries so yes you either have to have an insanely good uh defensive team altogether i feel like or you need a legitimate franchise defenseman and those don't just grow on trees you yeah. got to be pretty damn lucky uh, the next one coming up is is uh, Dolan, who's definitely not coming to Anaheim uh, unless there's some sort of miracle. But that's totally not going to happen <laughs> unless some idiot trades for him. Everybody uh, passes on him until the 23rd pick. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of where we sit. They need to figure out their third pair. Obviously needs to be fast. Going young obviously didn't help as much as we thought because they got eaten alive. Yeah. I mean, they got eaten alive just as bad as a Bochum and Bexa pairing. They need something that's going to work. So the Ducks aren't going to get a franchise guy, and so they need to figure that out. Now let's talk about uh, Brandon Montour. Mm-hmm. Just the little last piece on, on the defensive side of things. He's about to get an RFA contract. Um, he's perhaps the biggest surprise of the season for me, right? I mean, I, I don't want to jump ahead, spoiler alert, to our, our surprises, but, I mean, come on. It's hard not to talk about this guy. We yeah. were kind of iffy on where he stood on this team until all sitting up here with Cam Fowler. Yeah, because it was it – was... I guess you could call it a mediocre season up until that point because he was paired with Francois Beauchemin. And we, you know, I remember doing shows where I was like, you know, we just want that little bit more from Brandon Montour. And you saw that from people, you know, we were expecting so much from him after the playoff run and, you know, end up giving up Shea Theodore. And now all the pressure's on him to be that young guy who's going to step in and, and make a difference. And for, I guess, the first half of the season, he really couldn't do that because he was paired with Francois Beauchemin and things just weren't going well for that pairing all year. And then all of a sudden, I mean, maybe not right off the bat, but when they finally got put together consistently, him and Cam Fowler just took off. 
and I don't think I would have ever said this at the beginning of the season, but they became the Ducks' best pairing. They were better consistently than Lindholm and Manson, which I didn't expect. And, you know, that is a go-to pairing for the Ducks next year. And Montour is going to have to be just as good, if not better. Uh, but those guys are going to have to stay healthy. You know what I mean? It, it, it's such a, a t- an easy thing to, to look at and say, yeah, they're going to be great uh, if they can be healthy. And you never know... What kind of injuries are going to strike you? Of course, the Ducks got very unlucky with injuries this year. Um, but again, you don't have that cover. I mean, maybe Patterson and Larson can step up and play with Montour for a little bit of time. But you know, that's the question, I guess, for every team. And you can pretty much say that for anybody. You know, if Carlson gets injured in Ottawa, you know, what's their season going to look like? It's probably going to be bleak anyway. But you know, and you can say that with any top defenseman. So. I'm interested to see what Montour can do because I, I, I was surprised, like you said, when he got put with them. I want to see what they can do with a, at least close to a full season together and we can really get a better idea of how good this, this pairing is because we know Lindholm and Manson are going to always be consistently good. I'd like to see more of Fowler and Montour together before I can get you know a full opinion on uh, what type of pairing I think they are. But it's looked good so far. If you had to give the defense a grade before we hop over to goaltending, what would you give them? Regular season. We can't really crush them in the playoffs, but regular season. Uh, if you're taking everything into account, the amount they played, Boschman, Bieksa, the beginning part of the season where they, they played them on separate lines and they split up Fowler and Montour, and, and then you have to like it's almost like I can give them two separate grades. If I was going to give them a grade for the first half of the season, yes, I know there were injuries, I'd probably give them about like a C plus just because they didn't look that great. And you only had one pairing that was consistently good, and that was Lindholm and Manson. But then in the second half of the season, I'd have to go up to about a B plus, just because you had those two top pairings, which were great. And the third one was a, just a mess at times. But uh, at least you could roll with Lindholm, Manson, Fowler, and Montour for most of the game, and the Ducks were able to win games because of that. So I, I wouldn't go into an A, because obviously that bottom pairing was still bad. But I feel like the grade definitely bumps up at the second half of the season when they got put together. Yeah, I would have to go over all the B. I think they, they were pretty solid yeah. off of the regular season. Uh, postseason, a little messy all, around all all the defensive pairs. None of them were perfect or, or amazing, um, hence where we are or where we are. Uh, obviously, the other holes to fill, but, I mean, just looking at the regular season, i got to give that group a B. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle a coaching style change coming into the defensive yeah. side of things. We'll see who that is this summer. But let's hop over to goaltending. This should be pretty quick. Um, just because, I mean, this is the position that is, I mean, almost uncritiquable. There's nothing you can say in my mind about John Gibson or Ryan Miller that's going to be negative. Um, they had tremendous years. Ryan Miller did his job more so than I thought that he was going to provide this season. Um, he made an incredible, uh, just, I don't know, he made an incredible attempt to keep the Ducks afloat, and I think he, he succeeded. Finishing with a 2.35 goals against average and a 9.28 save percentage with four shutouts. Not much more you can ask a backup goaltender to do. Um, and then John Gibson, 31 wins. He hits uh, 2.43 goals against average and 9.26 save percentage and also four shutouts. Yeah, they didn't get what they wanted in the playoffs. Um, but that was a team that's the same thing I could be said about the defense that was a whole team issue including coaching staff including general manager um, that needs to be accounted for but looking at these guys uh, for the regular season it doesn't get much better than this no it doesn't I mean like you said John Gibson had a Vesna season or should have been 
of Vezina season. And a lot of people, it's not just us either. I mean, yeah, I think we're being a little bit of homers because I, I think we really wanted him to be in there. But we had Paul Campbell on the show who believed he should have been up for Vezina, him, Rene, and Bobrovsky. Uh, but he believed, I, I think he ended up nailing it on the head, didn't he? I think he picked Rene, Hellebuck, and Vasilevsky as the guys that would probably get the, the top three finalists. And he ended up picking it up. But a lot of people, especially in the analytics community, believe John Gibson maybe shouldn't even should have not just been nominated, but should have won it. I, I saw a lot of people, which I was surprised. I mean, I knew people wanted him to be put in the conversation and at least be one of the finalists. But I saw some some people that actually believed he he could win it. I mean, that's insane, and that that tells you the type of season he had. And again, that you know you got to look at Ryan Miller as well. He, he was one of the best backups this year. You could say maybe the best if you didn't have a guy like Carter Hutton out in St. Louis who was putting up some insane numbers. But he came in when he had to, and he was great for the Ducks. Uh, this was the only position, like you said, that doesn't need any upgrades for next season. You've got both of them here. John Gibson, you could you would hope, could come in and have a similar season, uh, maybe stay a little bit healthier. And again, he wasn't on any extended period of time, but he was out at least, I think, two or three times with different injuries here and there. It'd be nice to see him just consistently stay in the lineup without getting hurt multiple times throughout the season. So, again, this was, I think, you have to, what, you got to give this an A+, plus if you're going to rank it. I mean, you can't give anything less than that, because I think we all believe John Gibson should have at least been a finalist for the Vesna, and then Ryan Miller coming up and, and playing as well as he did. Can't really give it anything less than that. No, I'd have to agree with you, man. I mean, there's not much more you can say about those guys. I, th- I feel like they've just been amazing. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, what do you do other than hope that they can just replicate this season and that everyone's healthy? So, yeah, hey, and I just saw Gordon Bombay in the chat. He said, is everyone else feed skipping a bit? I'm getting the same sort of feedback, not to break up the show here, but, yeah, there's sort of like a skip. Uh, I'll, we'll keep going and I'll, I'll work in, I'll work on that a bit and see what's going on here. All right, let's get over to the offense here. Talking about Ryan Getzloff and Ricard Raquel, they're just money in the bank. I have no problems with them moving on to next season. We obviously need to look beyond them to find issues, which is what we're doing the show for. I mean, but Ricard Raquel having another amazing season, just improving and improving, uh, season after season, getting better obviously being paired with ryan getzloff has just been just a revelation for his career honestly because you know that ryan getzloff has a lot to do with raquel's success um and yeah of course getzloff's game is eventually going to slow down but he plays that type of game where i mean his hands anytime you you have hands like that and you can move the puck that way the puck is always going to beat out skating so i mean you're going to look forward to this type of style of game from ryan getzloff for a long time i feel like he's not going to just fall off the way Corey perry has because, um, you know, obviously Gessloff's more the assist guy anyway. He's only – he barely cracks double digits and goals after, you know, every season. Um, but Ricard Raquel and Ryan Gessloff have been money. I, I mean, they need to, to add more to help them out because when they dry up a little bit here and there, like everyone does, um, there's just a, a need. And we had those guys for stretches where that was the case and you needed the slack to be picked up and then come playoff time, it was just kind of done. But in the regular season, we even felt that with the Henrique line being on fire at some at some times – with Kasha and Richie, and then it falls off. And then Perry's line coming up a little bit when he wasn't playing with Getzloff. It was just kind of wasn't consistent enough. So, I mean, after Ryan Getzloff and Ricard Raquel, who would you think, Eddie, uh, we should be looking at here um, on this Ducks lineup to have a sort of resurgence next season? 
you would hope it'd be a guy like Nick Ritchie, who had such a disappointing season this year, would be a guy that would rebound and play a lot better. But as for guys to lead the way, other than Getzlaff and Raquel, you know, I've always hoped that Silverberg could get to that that point where he's going to be a 25-30 goal scorer. And, it, and it's getting so far along in his development that, I, I you know, he's going to be a 20-goal scorer for sure, but I don't know if he's going to really jump up and get to that next level. You know, you, you got, I, I think, that Henrik and Kasha line, especially, and whoever ends up getting paired on that on that uh, left wing with them, if it's Nick Richie or somebody else, I think they have to be consistently good next season if the Ducks' offense is going to have any kind of resurgence because, like you said, they were on fire at times. And then at times they completely disappeared, and they, they disappeared in that entire series against the Sharks, and we didn't see them at all. So I, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, I feel like this is a line that can definitely get things done. We're all hoping that Andre Kasha can be a guy that can get 20 goals again next year and maybe hit about 45, 50 points. And, and imagine if that line can be consistently good all year. That's going to be a, a threat for the Ducks. I mean, they're going to need Getzlaff. And Raquel and possibly Patrick Eves is a guy who's going to be on that first line with them. And then you've got the second line. And then maybe you have uh, Andre Kasha, Adam Henrique, and Corey Perry could be a possible third line that we see. And maybe that helps rebound Corey Perry if that line can be consistently good. So there's, there's things to look forward to. But I don't know where things are going to change. I mean, we've, you know, we've heard Murray talk about how he wants to add speed, how this team needs to play faster. But I'm not sure where that's going to come from when... We can pretty much ex- expect the same top nine with the addition of Patrick Eves at the start of next year. Yeah, and Andre Kasha, I mean, 20 goals, 18 assists, 38 points in 66 games. I think we can only expect improvement on him going into next season unless he has a, just a ridiculous sophomore slump. Um, but you also need to see what happens with his RFA contract. I mean, hitting 20 goals is a big milestone for a guy. And I think the expectation was not there for him to hit that. But the fact that he did means he's going to be getting, I don't know, I think a generous pay raise coming out of Bob Murray's pockets. And I think that's going to have an effect around the team because not only does Brandon Montour need that and Andre Kasha, but then looking at Nick Ritchie, as you mentioned, with 10 goals and 17 assists, I kind of feel like he's the guy to look at. And I know we've talked about it before, but is he the guy that's going to get the one-year deal, two-year deal, Ritchie I'm talking about here? to prove himself or is there going to be a movement from him? I mean, who knows? But I mean, Nick Ritchie has just been a big disappointment, but he's kind of young, Eddie. I know I've been harsh on him, but do you feel like he's going to get that chance? Um, or do you really feel like this might be the time for them to get faster and get, and uh, get another player to slot in there? I think it is because, you know, not just from the comments that Murray made, how he wants this team to get faster. And he talked about adding speed and I would assume that means probably adding faster players to the lineup. Not necessarily does that make the Ducks a faster team, but we've seen him do that in the past. I mean, when he added Carl Hagelin, obviously that was a complete dumpster fire how that worked out, but uh, that's that's where I feel like he goes with adding speed. And then, like I just said, you you add Patrick Eves to this lineup. Who's the most logical guy to drop out of the top nine? It's Nick Ritchie. And, and do you play him on the fourth line, or do you go and you get some speedier players to put on that fourth line? and trade him for what you can get for him right now. Um, It's interesting because I I feel like both are are as equally as possible. Uh, You could get rid of him, and I feel like that's 50-50, or you could put him on the fourth line, and and that's a a completely viable option for the Ducks. I would go the route of trading him at this point. 
Uh, I just feel like this is what you're going to get from him. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I feel like, again, a lot of the criticism comes from the fact that he was a former 10th overall pick. You know, 27 points in 76 games isn't isn't something to open your eyes at. But for a fourth-line guy, I guess that's not necessarily bad. And uh, if he was to continue that production playing maybe on a fourth line with, what, uh, Derek Grant and JT Brown or whoever ends up coming back and playing there, it's not bad. But I feel like the way the Ducks are going and the direction that Bob Murray wants to go on based off his comments, I don't see how he fits. Because if you had to pick a guy who probably isn't going to be able to adapt to a faster style of play, it's going to be Nick Ritchie. Yeah, Drew in our chat says uh, Ritchie for 2018-2019 MVP. And then you put uh, of the San Diego goals. So <laughs> I don't even, I don't think they... Maybe he needs that. Yeah, I feel like they wouldn't, would, can, I'm, I'm stumbling here, but it, can he even go down to San Diego. I mean, he could start the season there for sure, but I feel like he has to go through waivers to come back up. I mean, if you're going to go that route, you might as well just trade him because I feel like you would get picked up on waivers. What's the point in sending him and starting him in San Diego if you're going to end up having the possibility of losing him for nothing? You might as well just trade him. And I think, again, this season he might have been a waiver exempt because I think he was still in his ELC, but if he comes back next year, he signed a new contract, and I feel like uh, he would have to go through waivers if he was to come out from San Diego. So that's probably not an option. And if again, if you're going to do that, you might as well just move on and try and get some assets from him, grab some draft picks this year, maybe get a struggling player in return that fits the style the Ducks are trying to play and hope that that guy can rebound. I mean, we've seen those types of deals from different teams in the past where two struggling players get traded for each other and you hope that they can rebound and get to their potential that you had expected from them. So those are the two options I really see involving Nick Ritchie, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in a Ducks uniform next year, probably playing on the fourth line. How do you feel about Adam Henrique? I know that uh, that's a big deal for the Ducks and you know for us fans because – we saw Sammy Vatnin leave and go to New Jersey, and now we're looking at what we got for him, and you put a hole in our blue line. I mean, although people were, I mean, let's be honest, people were going after Sammy Vatnin, too, about him not being as reliable. But, I mean, you saw what, what happened not having him on the blue line did when there was injuries. But uh, the piece we got back for him, Adam Henrique, I mean, he went through a little scoring slump, too. But, I mean, my God, he was so much needed. I mean, that's not even proper English, but he was. I mean, that's I'm just trying to figure out the best way to put it. But, I mean, the need for him on this team, I just feel like the Ducks did a great job in adding a piece there uh, for what they got for Sammy Vatnin. Yeah, he's he's going to be a big part of this team next year for sure. I mean, it did expose some holes on the blue line that ultimately hurt the Ducks in the playoffs with Cam Fowler's injury. But you can't say because Cam Fowler got hurt and that Sammy Vatnin was gone because of the Henrique trade, it makes that trade bad. I mean, Henrique was a huge addition to this team and was a big part of the reason they got to the playoffs. I mean, he came in and filled the hole that was left behind from Ryan Getzlaff and Ryan Kessler being out with injuries. You know, if he doesn't come in, the Ducks probably don't pick up the points they did in some of those games and make the playoffs. And then again, you look at even when they came back and how well at times... There was a stretch of games where the only reason the Ducks were winning is because of how well that uh, Richie, Henrique, and Cashew line were playing. I think for a stretch of about 10 games, they were easily the Ducks' best line and, and picked up points on their own for, for the Ducks in some of those games. So he, he's a huge part of this team, not just the looking back at this season, but uh, again for next year. The only thing I think you hope is that if he does get put on the line with Andre Cash and maybe Corey Perry, is that they can find consistent success throughout the season. Or at least if, if games that they're not scoring points in, they still look good. They don't just disappear. 
that was the the big worry for me is especially even in the in the series against the Sharks, we didn't see them. You didn't see any anything from them. They completely disappeared. They went off the radar in that series. And it's not like that was the first time we've seen them do that because they either looked really good in the regular season or they were non-existent. And, and again, that was a, a lot. That happened to a lot of players for the Ducks and their offense as a whole. But uh, you need to see some more consistency. And I think maybe even adding Corey Perry on that line provides obviously a little bit more of an offensive threat than Nick Ritchie has. And I would love to see, uh, I think we saw it briefly in the, in the postseason with Henrik Kasha and Perry. Or maybe it was uh, Henrik Ritchie and Perry. But uh, adding Patrick Eves into the mix definitely creates a lot of different possibilities for that third line for Anaheim. Yeah, Adam Henrique, 20 goals in 57 games. The Ducks, he only had four goals in the first 24 games. The Devils, he finishes with 50 points um, combined between the Devils and Anaheim. So I feel like he had a hell of a season. It's kind of funny when you play on a bad team like New Jersey and you're shooting at 8.2% and you come to Anaheim and shoot at almost 20%. Yeah. Um, what the difference is when you play with linemates you click with. I mean, playing with Andre Kasha was great for him. Also getting power play minutes there also helped his numbers. So I think great pickup. We'll have to see what he does with the full season with us next year. Looking right now at the guy that everyone loves to talk about and bash, myself included, Corey Perry. Uh, 17 goals, 32 assists, 49 points in 71 games. Those are not bad numbers unless you talk about the contract numbers, which yeah. at this point is is almost unfair because it doesn't even really matter. He's going to get paid that money no matter what. And he has a full no move, just like Ryan Getzloff, just like Ryan Kessler. Um, all those rumors floating around about him being traded. I know we kind of goofed on that last week and talked about it a little bit um, and said, what if, what if, what if? But, I mean, I really don't see Corey Perry moving anywhere. I don't really see the Ducks asking him to waive his no-move clause, and I really see him just kind of sticking up the middle finger if they were to. Yeah. Um, so I think we're stuck with Corey. And so my question to you, Eddie, is can we expect the same or maybe a slightly less version of Corey Perry next season, or do you really feel like a big turnaround's coming? I feel like the big turnaround we were waiting for the last couple seasons, you know, it didn't come, and I feel like it's not going to come next season. I think this is what we can expect from Corey Perry. Maybe we see a bounce back if he can really find a line he can click with. I mean, he just he still couldn't figure things out, and he was put with Ricard Raquel and Ryan Getzlaff, and still couldn't get back to the guy that we used to, that we used to seeing Corey Perry, and, and we kind of hope we could see from him in a thirty goal score. I don't think it happens, but maybe him playing on a third line with Henry Kasha where he's getting some more favorable matchups could help him get back up closer, at least to 20 goals, maybe 25. But again, we're being optimistic because we've hoped that for the last two seasons. And you know we've hoped year after year, Corey Perry is hopefully going to get back to that Hart Trophy type season where he ends up getting you know, 40, 50 goals. I, I think that's well behind him now. But again, I mean, nothing's wrong with 49 points in 71 games. It's just, again, the contract that everybody looks back to. And, you know, this this guy is commanding a lot of money off this team's salary cap. And he's not producing at the the rate that we expect from him. So that that's the disappointing part. But, you know, t- talking about next season, what we can expect, I think it's going to be pretty much the same. And like you said, maybe even slight, slightly less if he continues to regress. But I, I'm hoping... If he does get third-line minutes, that gives him a little bit more favorable matchups and maybe he has an easier time getting pucks in the back of the net. He was maybe the most dangerous Ducks player in the Sharks series. Yeah, I mean, especially in the last game A couple of well. games. Lots of chances for Corey yeah. Perry. 
So Again, maybe but it comes he down starts to not cashing, cashing in on in. those. Yeah, it, it comes right. down to not cashing in on those chances. And, you know, Martin Jones was great in game four. There's no question about it. But you feel like Perry had to cash in on one of those. There were a couple chances where he just had to elevate it a little bit higher. And I know it's difficult, but... You know, that's what you get paid to do. And you got to cash one of those in. Uh, yeah. It would have been such a huge goal for the Ducks to get one from him there. And he just couldn't find a way to beat him. And, and pretty much every chance he had, it just had to elevate it a little bit higher over the pad and it's in the back of the net. So, I don't know. Uh, Perry, Corey Perry's going to, I think, be the big question mark for Anaheim going into next season because you don't really know what you're going to get from him. You know, if you get a 50-point season, then that's great. But you hope for more and you hope that if it is 50 points, it's more goals than it is assists. And, and, and you really want him to be that go-to guy to get 25, 30 goals and, and maybe get back to the types of seasons we'd hope from him. So Derek in chat says, what position do you think we need more depth in, center or defense? I would have to go with center. Yeah? I mean, but you've, you've already got – like if you're drafting or if you're just going into next season. Like I feel like with – For guess, me, it's for me drafting. For yeah, okay. just because I'm looking at the age of our centers, the age of the big okay. guys. You're looking at Kessler and looking at Ryan Getzloff. Yeah, if you're, if you're talking about drafting, then definitely at center. If you're talking about going into next season, if, you, if you're going to add to this current team, then it's definitely defense because you can't get much right. more deep in the top nine than Getzloff, Kessler, and Henrik. I mean, you're not going to get much more than whoever you put on the fourth line. And I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does, but... You can add maybe Derek Grant there or go out and get a fourth-line center if you want. It's not going to change too much the Ducks' depth there. And then you've got some guys in the minors, especially in, in Sam Steele, who is going to be a guy that could look for as a call-up if somebody gets hurt and, and could slot right in at center, which is his natural position. But, yeah, if, if we're looking about drafting, definitely at center. And, and Derek brings in, he says drafting. So I think it is center because if you look at right now, you know, the only natural center the Ducks have that could come in and maybe step into these top six is Sam Steele because Max Jones is left winger. Maxim comes to us plays center at times, but he really is a winger more than anything. Uh, Antoine Morant is a center in junior, but I feel like he's one of those guys when he gets to the NHL, he translates more to the wing. And, and Sam Steele could eventually be one of those guys too. I, I just don't know. Smaller centers for me are always big question marks. They're the skilled, smaller guys at center. You never know how they're going to turn out and if they're going to be able to be centers in the National Hockey League. Sam Steele is a, a, an interesting one for there because I feel like he, he is a guy who could play center eventually. It all depends on how he translates his game to the NHL. I mean, he'll be an effective winger if he does end up playing on the wing, but that's a huge loss for Anaheim because outside of him, there's not a lot of depth up the middle. And I feel like that's where they should go this year in the draft. And we'll get to there later on because we're going to talk about the draft. But uh, they're, they're severely lacking when you look at the age of Ryan Kessler and Ryan Getzlaff and trying to replace these players in two or three seasons. No, that's going to be a tough task for Bob Murray to figure out if he's still the GM. Um, that's, I don't want to talk about Bob just yet because we've got some things to correlate with him. But we got to talk about uh, our surprises, good and bad. Um, I, what are your what's your good surprise and what's your bad surprise for this season? I don't want to say it's maybe, you know it's not as, I guess a surprise, but John Gibson's play this season is it uh, was a good <laughs> a good surprise. You know he, we knew he would be an important part of this team, but him having the type of season he did was arguably the the main reason the Ducks got into the playoffs to begin with especially with all the injuries. You know, he was the guy that led this team. So if I had to pick a, a big surprise, 
I feel like it's him. Maybe you could lean a bit on Andre Kasha getting to 20 goals. I, I think nobody expected that. We knew he had a, a big surprise season last year, and then he really broke out this year and became the player that we all hoped he'd be. So I feel like that, for me, are the surprises. Uh, on a disappointing side, I feel like... So this is a tough one because there's a lot to pick, but I feel like you know the blue line for me was disappointing. The way it was composed, I feel like when Lindholm and Montour and Fowler and sorry, Lindholm and Manson and Fowler and Montour got put together, it looked a lot better. But just as a whole, they weren't as good as we expected them to be this season. And then for me again, it it really does come down to that shutdown line, and it's tough to criticize them because of Ryan Kessler's injury and and how much that plays a role in the success of that line. But we expected them to be a, a go-to line for the Ducks when things are going bad. And we couldn't count on them this year. They were just inconsistent. They had some very good games, like, blurred in with some very bad games. So that that's the big disappointment, I think, for me. So for me, the positive, the best surprise out of this season for me was I'm going to go with Brandon Montour because we finally figured out who he is and what he can provide this team. as was a two-way mobile defenseman, which you can never have too many of those. Uh, mobile and puts up points, plays power play. Uh, I like his game. He's not afraid to step up and try to make a big hit. Um, I like his game a lot. I mean, I would go right up there with just seeing how well Josh Manson was able to add offense to his game too. Um, I, I like his style of play as well, but I'm going to have to go with Brandon Montour. And when it comes to disappointments, I'm going to have to look at Nick Ritchie. Um, I really felt like when there was a lot of injuries coming around that it was going to be his chance to step up and prove that he can play big minutes and and, and slot in and you know hit the 20-goal mark, hit the 40, 45, 50-point mark this season, which would have been a huge step for him. Um, he's still young and maybe has a little bit of more time to prove who he is, but I feel like maybe at this point, we know who he is, and he's a fourth-line, third-guy guy at best, as we said. But, yeah, Richie's been my disappointment. That's fair. I mean, I think, you know, in the chat, Drew said that Kasha was as good, which I think it, that that's a, that's a good one. I, I mean, we're all surprised with Kasha this year. And he said the injuries were the, the big disappointment this year, which is fair enough. I mean, he said they never thought that we'd get decimated so much. But putting Richie up there... You kind of have to. I mean, he he's an easy target, right? Because you we all expected him to have his breakout season. It's almost the same as I said with Jakob Silverberg before. You know, we all hope and, and believe that he could be a 25-30 goal scorer, but he just hasn't got there. And we all hoped that Nick Ritchie could fulfill his potential after getting drafted 10th overall, and he hasn't got there. So the disappointments just kind of stack up season after season. And for me... It just gets slightly less disappointing each year because now we're we kind of know what we're going to get from them. Yeah, I would go ahead and give the offensive C this season. How about you? Yeah, uh, uh, it's it's tough because I I, <laughs> I hate grading it because I I, I want to be positive and and give them a better grade, but I think the inconsistency. You know, taking out the injuries out of the equation and the fact that some guys just didn't perform well this season, I feel like I'd give them probably... I, I would, I'd go a little bit higher to say like a C plus because I was impressed with guys like Ricard Raquel having another 30-goal season, improving on his career Thanks, highs. Ryan Getzlaff. Yeah, but still, I mean, you got to give him some credit as well. <laughs> no, Ryan Getzlaff no, coming back, true. and if he played a full season, probably having a Hart Trophy-type season. 
and then Andre Cash and Adam Henrique being guys that we thought did very well. And even Derek Grant was a surprise this year in the type of production that he had. And, of course, that comes a lot with the, where he was slotted in the lineup during the injuries. But I would give him a, a little bit higher in a C plus because I felt like there were some guys that did surprise me a bit. All right, let's talk about uh, Bob Murray and the exit interview quotes, Eddie. Some interesting things have come out. Uh, as it happens with every team, you find out the injuries. Some players get the comment about uh, how they feel, what's going on, you know, going after the season. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Murray's comments on Perry? And those are kind of funny. All of these. <laughs> I, have, I have something to say pretty much about all of these because some of them were just so ridiculous. Uh, I couldn't believe that he had actually said them. These Perry ones that we're going to start with are, are some of the worst ones, I think. The, the quote was, it's the one that I pick out here is, where Murray said that he's got to buy into playing fast. We have a few more than him that have to buy into playing fast. I, I don't know. I mean, how how is a guy like Corey Perry, who's been struggling season after season, just going to all of a sudden buy into being able to play fast? I, I mean, what, what player have you ever seen buy in? It's been a slow guy who's bought into playing fast. And he's also just a fast player. Uh, I don't know. That that comment is just is just weird to me. I don't know what you think. I don't really know if you can buy into playing a fast game if you can't skate to the puck. Yeah. Um, I think that's a problem. I, maybe we're misunderstanding Murray or his comments weren't, I guess, articulated the way he wanted them to be accepted because it didn't sound like he knew what he was saying. Because, yeah. And I'm not trying to, to bash the guy because, like I said, maybe – he just didn't have the correct words, but I mean, you got to have quick players to play quick hockey. Because he even goes on to say this about the Sharks. He says, "Are Logan Couture and Pavelski really fast skaters? Are they? No, they're good at ho- they're good hockey players. But if your team plays fast, you can make players faster, and that's the first thing that has to be addressed around here. You need fast players to play fast hockey, Bob. Um, yeah. I'm not sure what you're talking about. The defensive side of things, I think our team is fine." Mm-hmm. I have no problems with, with Manson's speed, Montour's speed, Cam Fowler, obviously, and Nampus Lindholm. They're not the fastest defensemen, but they're really mobile players. So yeah. they're the ones who should be leading the offense when you drive the offense out of your defensive zone. And, you know, you don't have to make an 80, 90-foot pass. You can make closer passes to your to your forwards and get offense moving. Um, I don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, I, I would love to see how he can make Corey Perry faster. I don't think anyone can. I think even if he had two rebuilt knees, I don't know if that would help him. It's just not his style of game. He's never been a quick guy, even in his heyday. But uh, it'll be interesting to see what Bob Murray does. Yeah, I feel like he just didn't articulate it well, like you said, because, you know, you can make. We talked about it during the postgame shows, I think, multiple times, where he said this team could be a faster team because of the guys they have, especially the mobile defensemen they have in their top four, and some of the guys up front. In Andre Cash, Adam Henry, Jakob Silverberg, Andrew Cogliano, Ricard Raquel, all those types of guys. Those are those are guys who could play a faster type of style. And I feel like maybe what he was meaning is that you know they could carry the pace of play and essentially carry carry Corey Perry in a faster style. You know he's not going to be a faster player, but they're going to be able to carry him because they're going to push the pace of play for the Ducks and make things a lot easier for him. Maybe that's what he meant. That's what I would hope he meant because I really I really hope he doesn't believe he's just going to hope that Corey Perry buys into being a faster player and is just going to all of a sudden skate faster because he, he buys into the style. I hope that's not what he means. I mean, he brings up, like you said, Logan Couture and Pavelski. I, I feel like they're definitely faster skaters than Corey Perry. 
I mean, they're not slouches. I mean, they're, they're not slow guys necessarily. They're 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 not lightning speed like Connor McDavid, but I feel like they're they're definitely quicker players. And you look at the, the Sharks lineup as a whole, they're a faster team, and they have a lot of young guys. There some speedy guys, especially in Timo Meyer and Marcus Sorensen, who burned the Ducks on, on three occasions in the playoffs. And, and they're built to play that way. But uh, I think the Ducks have the guys in their system and the guys coming up in their system where they can they play that style of hockey. But saying that Corey Perry is all of a sudden going to be a faster player next season if he buys into a different style is, is just ridiculous. No, I agree. I mean, we like you said, we've named off fast players before. I mean, Gordon Bombay and our chassis were not that slow. It's just the sorry-ass system we're stuck in. And a lot can be said about that. I mean, look what happened when the Pittsburgh Penguins changed their, their head coach. Yeah. Right? Going from Mike Johnston, right, to Mike Sullivan. And if I think I have those names correct, I always confuse the two of those guys. But uh, yeah, they changed sure. that. They changed the way the forwards come in. And you know, how deep Sidney Crosby had to come back for a pass from a defenseman rather than you know being able to skate in the neutral zone. He came back almost into the defensive zone um, or deep in the defensive zone rather to get the puck. So, yeah, you can make system changes, and they're going to need to. But that also goes into what we got from Mike Coppinger, uh, Coppinger's article that he put out saying, the plan doesn't necessarily involve acquiring quicker players. Bob Murray pointed to the attacking style the Sharks used and said he would like to use or I'd see the Ducks skate in a similar fashion. Okay, there it is. There's the system issue. That means less passing between defensemen at the blue line and overall playing beneath the face-off dots. I don't know why he doesn't like the D-to-D passing because yeah. that's very common. That helps move the puck away. That also gives you a chance at uh, finding an open lane and getting a pass fired up rather than forcing a pass up a wall to a, a player that's being well defended. Pretty interesting as to why he would say something like that, but I agree they need to change the system. That further goes into another question, is what the hell is going on with Randy Carlisle? How is he, is he just going to be told to change how he runs his team? They fire, they didn't fire, they let go of Trent Yanni, they didn't re-sign him. So what is the deal? And where are they going to change the system? Uh, Carlisle keeps his job, and now Bob Murray is saying we need to change how the, how the coach is going to be coaching this team. I have no idea what that means. I mean, is this just something that, that, what does that even mean? It doesn't just happen like that. You bring in a coach for a certain style of play. Am I correct? Am I incorrect? Uh, Yeah. And we haven't seen any talking points during the regular season. Any, any positives were that he's going to change his style or he has another style up his sleeve. I mean, we saw the same ducks team arguably for the entire season, the way they played, there was no changes. We talked about it in the postseason, how the ducks just couldn't change the way they play to, counteract what the Sharks were doing. And I feel like the Sharks changed the way they were playing to match the Ducks' style of play because they knew they were, what that was going to be coming out their way. And yeah, the Ducks made it close in the last game, but they were still playing the type of hockey that had been successful for them in the regular season. They didn't really change anything up. So yeah, I don't see how it changes. I don't know how you can say you're going to change the system of this team and the style and make them a faster team, but we're still going to have the same coach who played the dump and chase style, the heavy hockey and now all of a sudden he's just going to come up with this new style that he uh, somehow has the capability to coach that he couldn't do during the regular season. I don't know. I, I mean, it makes no sense to me. Again, I, I feel like he's just getting the pass based off the injuries, and maybe they just don't want to fire him. They didn't just say, well, we can just let him go at the end of next season because we just won't extend his contract. It, it's such a weird situation for me because you know he says he has confidence in him, but then he says he wants to completely change the style that the Ducks play currently. 
I don't see how that's having confidence in your coach if you want him to completely change his coaching style. I Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I'm very confused. Chase says in our chat, if Carlisle doesn't change the system, will he be out by Christmas? Well, he's going to change the system as to what Bob Murray wants. But yeah. if, whether or not it's successful will be remain to be seen. And, yeah, I feel like the, if the Ducks are healthy and have a start the way they did this season, you could look to be seeing as Carlisle one of the first coaches being fired. I would think this this window, Bob's not dumb. Uh, he's just not a dumb guy. I know everyone is on him, and we've made comments about him too. He's made a lot of great moves for this team, and um, I think one of the incorrect ones was bringing back Randy Carlisle, and he's going to have to get rid of Carlisle. But, I mean, at the same time, Eddie, if you fire a guy and then you bring him back and then you fire him again, how long until it's your turn? Yeah. How long until Bob Murray is the guy? I mean, he also put in his quotes, uh, in today's hockey, you can't just play four or five defensemen at nine forwards. He believes the fourth line should play between 10 and 14 minutes and because you know they routinely only played you know a handful, five or seven minutes. And he also commented at the end of this that goaltending tends to cover up a lot of crap. Right there for me, it shows that he's not a dumb guy, and he realizes the changes in the league. But how long until it's his turn if he has to fire the same coach again? Yeah, again, it comes back to the point where you know he criticizes all these things that are clearly coaching decisions. I mean, we talk about the style of play. Then he talks about the fact that he wants to see the fourth line play 10 to 14 minutes instead of 5 to 7. That's a decision on Randy Carlisle's part to play the fourth line only 5 to 7 minutes a night. And then good goaltending covers up a lot of crap. And all that crap is what Randy Carlisle was able to produce from this hockey team. But then he'll come over in a different quote and say that he has complete confidence in Randy Carlisle and that he hopes that he can feel a healthy team for him next season and see what he can do. It's so weird because the comments and the different quotes kind of contradict each other. And I feel like, again, you know, to your point, if he fires him this year, he's kind of admitting defeat. And it was his fault. He's admitting guilt for that he was wrong for hiring Randy Carlisle in the first place and that it didn't work out and giving him maybe this last season essentially to see if he can turn things around and basically from what he said completely change the way he coaches and play a different style I feel like it, it's almost just a, a, a way to save his ass essentially you know he like you said he if he fires him now the fault's on him if he lets him go another season You've got a lot more people blaming Randy Carlisle, and maybe he escapes with his job after Randy Carlisle is fired. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see how this system's going to change if it does at all. But I mean, you could look to see Randy Carlisle being a guy on the hot seat next year if that's the case. A couple more things here on the on the uh, exit interviews to kind of round him out. Kevin Bieksa saying he was disappointed, and him not being played was not a good looking <laughs> move. Him not playing hockey, and I know, man. I even said it on Twitter. It's kind of like we bash this guy. I try not to be too harsh. He's a professional athlete. I mean, he was good in his prime. I mean, of course, he's not a number one defenseman, but in the league in his heyday, he was a good defender. Um, He was a reliable guy. He's just um, a really nice guy, by the way. Met him. He's he's really cool. It's like I'm not trying to kiss his ass, but at the same time, it's like uh, he gets a lot of heat. And he played minutes he probably shouldn't have played. But yeah. those comments are very telling. Uh, you can, you will almost have to guarantee that Kevin BX is not, will not be back at an Anaheim, Anaheim sweater next season. Yeah, and I feel like people are probably happy to see those comments, honestly, because we thought that he could 
realistically be back for like a one year, one million type of deal, just a veteran signing to have that veteran presence back on the blue line. I was a, I guess, I don't know if I was surprised by his comments, but I'm surprised he voiced them in the way he did at the exit interviews and, and kind of just threw, threw some shade at the Ducks saying, you know, that he was disappointed and it wasn't a good looking move by keeping him out. You know, it's not like having him in the lineup from what we saw really changed anything. I mean, him in the lineup versus Walensky in the lineup, it looked pretty much exactly the same. You know, there was real no no difference. And that's not a good looking, you know, that's not a good look for him either. You know, that a kid who has relatively no playoff experience comes in and does basically the exact same job for you, which wasn't a great job to begin with. You know, that that's not great on him. And then for him to come out and, and do this at the end of his, probably at the end of his tenure in Anaheim, it's a little bit bitter on his part, I think, and it sucks because, like you said, he is a good guy, and I understand why he's disappointed. He, you know, he's a guy who competes hard and he wants to play those important games for the Ducks, but it's not like the play he he had on a consistent basis really showed that he deserved to be in those positions, and I think that was one of the reasons he didn't play. You know, he didn't prove that he was going to be a valuable piece for the Ducks in those important games, and that's why you have a kid in Andy Walensky who takes his spot in a elimination game in Game 4, and the Ducks still played arguably their best game of the entire series. And that's obviously not on Andy Walensky, but you know it doesn't look great on Kevin Bieksa when a kid can come in and do the same job, if not a better job, than you can. No, uh, we thank him for his Superman punches. And, uh, you know, he's always he's always funny. He always would come in and uh, and do pranks on, with the Ducks, with the Anaheim organization, and those are always fun too, but... Just on the ice, I think it's time to move on to more of a younger group, unfortunately, for him. Uh, the other comment that I wanted to make mention of here was uh, Ryan Kessler playing 20 pounds lighter to add speed to his game. Obviously still coming back from that offseason hip surgery that kind of hampered him all season. We could look to him, he said, to be remaining at that weight 20 minutes lighter to keep the speed up. I love this guy. I mean, yeah. to talk about a guy that plays and leaves everything out on the ice and wants to win more than anyone else in the league – or right up there with everyone else who's at his at his level. It's unreal to me, man. I mean, that that just shows you the dedication that he has you know, to the sport, to his teammates, and to himself to be the best version of Ryan Kessler that you can see. And I'm looking forward to him more now in the off season, or in the uh, rather beginning of the pre, you know preseason and training camp to see what he's going to bring. Because I mean, adding speed to his game is just going to make it him that much better and that much more of a pest. I feel like. Uh, heading into October. Yeah, you know, I, I said earlier that I thought Corey Perry was going to be the biggest question mark going into next season. I'm going to have to rescind that because I, I feel like Ryan Kessler is the biggest question mark going into next season. You know, are we going to get the Ryan Kessler of old who was nominated for a Selkie Trophy before the hip surgery? Are we going to get the same Ryan Kessler this year? Or is it going to be a guy who's kind of in between that? I feel like it's going to be a guy who's in between. I feel like he's going to be better than he was this year because he's going to have that entire offseason and early part of the season to kind of still continue to rehab and get healthier. And, of course, like you said, he's going to be playing at 20 pounds lighter, which is going to help him out. It's going to be tough for him to adjust to that, but he's got an entire summer to do that. That's the the big question for me. You know, I, I, I'll ask you it, I think, and I guess everybody in the chat here. Do you think we're going to see the Ryan Kessler of old, where he was a Selkie Trophy nominee? Do you think we're going to see the Ryan Kessler from last year, where he was clearly struggling and didn't look like the guy we expect from, or is he going to be somewhere in the middle? I think you're going to see a 50-point guy again next season. Yeah. I really do. I think you're going to see 
right around 20 goals, right around 30 assists. Uh, you're going to see him be nasty. He doesn't need to fight. He might take the odd fight here and there, but you're going to see him nasty. And when he's feeling good and he's not in pain, I mean, people don't understand how much that sucks to be in that kind of pain. I mean, I know I don't. Yeah. I've never had hip surgery. I had to relearn how to walk he and had skate to re- again. Yeah, exactly. He had to relearn his stride and to, to skate and to walk again. I mean, the fact that he was playing at all, clearly not at 100%, was incredible. And he was still having great games here and there. You know, I, the question again is, is, is he going to be able to come back from that and be anywhere close to where he was? We don't know. I mean, the same question, I guess, is around Patrick Eves as well. Is he going to be anywhere close to the guy we expect from him the, the, those are tough questions for the Ducks to answer right now we, we really don't see anything until the first couple preseason games they play and of course the start of next season yeah hopefully that he'll you know he'll be back to where he was or right around it that would make this transition into whatever type of system Bob Murray's going to force down Randy Carlisle's throat to spit out to his players um, it'll make it much easier for the them if they have to mean and nasty and ready to go out and try to win a cup again um, but that rounds out everything from our player exit interviews and our discussions with bob murray um or just talking about bob murray rather i didn't talk to him i know chase said earlier in the chat i need to ask him about uh what's going on when i see him at starbucks again i need to try to get there on <laughs> thursday for that one um let's look ahead let's talk briefly about the draft that's the next big day coming up um obviously for the ducks because they're not in the playoffs unfortunately um and this is also notoriously a place where players are traded and big things happen at the draft, more so than at free agency, I feel like, in the offseason. Where do you see the Ducks slotting in? And I know we already got asked this question earlier when it comes to drafting. We want them to draft a center for center depth. But Bob's always been a big defensive guy. But then again, he's also picking guys like Max Jones and Sam Steele and Maxine Comtois. So is it more or less kind of like pick the best guy who's available, right? I mean, that's kind of what yeah. most GMs should do. Is that kind of what we can expect to see out of Bob Murray again? I think so. Um, now, if, to just kind of break down what the Ducks draft is going to look like, uh, up to the 20th pick right now is set. Uh, the Ducks currently are drafting 23rd. They can move up to 22nd or 21st if San Jose or Pittsburgh or both make it to the conference finals then the Ducks would move up if both make it they'd move up to the 21st pick if one of them makes it they'd move up to the 22nd pick they can only really move from 21 22 or 23 so we kind of know where they're going to be picking at that point I think with this year more than any draft is is so interesting because I've seen guys who are projected to go in the mid second round who on some mock drafts are projected to go in that 20 to 23 pick range in the first round I haven't seen that in the last three drafts where there's that much parity from basically outside the top 10 all the way down to middle of the second round. So it'll be interesting because, you know, who who the Ducks think is the best player available at that point is going to be a lot different than, and you know, say if, if the uh, the Sharks do pick around there, then the, who the Sharks think is the best player available. Uh, and I think that's going to be interesting because there's a lot of different names the Ducks could go. I, I still think they should draft a forward. And I do think it should be a center because of, of the lack of depth they have there. But, you know, the, this first round especially is littered with defensemen and wingers in that early part of guys who are projected to go uh, in that, uh, that around that 23rd pick. You know, I picked out some names that we'll get to in a bit, but it, it's going to be tough. I, I mean, I, I do think the Ducks usually go with that philosophy where they pick the best guy available. But I think at least in the last few drafts from what they've seen – 
is they've tried to draft forwards. You know, you look at them drafting Sam Steele and Max Jones and Antoine Morand and, and Maxime Comtois with the first three picks of the, the last couple drafts. So they're, they're clearly trying to restock the coverage on forward, which makes sense. But uh, there's still some holes that they have to fill. Yeah, I feel like they're going to take, I mean, from what I've been reading about, I'm not a big prospects guy, as I've said before. But I feel like the one that I read about, and like you said, it makes sense that it's going to be either a defender or a winger, even though you think they should take a center. A lot of them have pointed towards you know taking a defenseman, right? I mean, that, I saw that I think on USA. One of the things is USA Today's mock draft rundown. They're going to take a defenseman. Yeah, I'm not afraid to for them to do that. But I mean, at the same time, I would like to see them if they are going to do that, that they move a defenseman out of our system and fill in a forward hole that's going to be. But you know, needed, and you need to have another guy come in and play. I don't care if it's an AHL trade. I mean, we don't know who those guys are until they pop up, you know, at the least at the goals level and make noise. Let alone coming to the NHL and being great's another story. But if they take another defenseman, they got to move one that they're not 100 percent on to bring in some forward depth into this roster. There's going to be problems in the near future. Yeah, and I think with this draft is, and I guess it's the same because we had already talked about uh, Antoine Moran and Sam Steele, where they're listed as centers, but they're guys who probably project his wingers maybe sam Steele can be a center at the national hockey League level it all depends on how he can translate his game i feel like if, if we're going to start picking maybe some guys out that the ducks could draft here if uh, a guy by the name of rasmus kupari is available for the ducks at 23 which I, I highly doubt but he you know if he ends up falling a bit i think he's the the best pure center available at that point if he's still there um you know he's a guy that, that currently plays center in the in the Finnish league, and I feel like that's a guy who could project to be a center in the National Hockey League. When you look at the guys outside that, and some names that come up in Isaac Lindstrom, Ryan McLeod, Akil Thomas, these are guys that have have played wing at times, and could be wingers in the future in the National Hockey League. You know, I, a guy, and I'm not just saying this because uh, I'll end up be be doing a lot of profiling him in the summer. Is is Akil Thomas with the Niagara Ice Dogs? He's a guy that a lot of mock drafts have the Ducks picking at 23rd. Uh, and he, he kind of goes with what the Ducks have been picking. You know, he, He's a, an energy guy. He's a speedy forward. Uh, offense comes first for him. But he is good in his own zone. And he, he can get back and he can back check. And, I, and he's a guy that can play center and wing. I feel like he's a guy that could work for the Ducks with who they've drafted. When you look at Sam Steele and Maxime Comtois, Antoine Morand, and Max Jones, it, it, he kind of fits in with those types of players. Uh, and another guy, which uh, some guys, including Corey Prodman, have been very high on it and had him early in the first round, is Dominic Bach, who plays in, I believe he plays in the Swedish Elite League, but he's a German right winger. Uh, and he's surprised a lot of people. You know, he, he's he's not small at 6'1". He's a little bit on the skinny side, but he's a guy that's kind of jumped up the rankings all year. And, and you always look for those guys when you're looking at the draft and, and potential sleepers or guys who started out being a projected maybe a fourth or third round pick and then they slowly move their way up because of the type of season that they're having and that's been him this year he's been a guy that surprised a lot and and he's going anywhere from early second round to late first round so the Ducks could get him he could be a guy that could be available at the 23rd pick the last one for me because I'm not going to go too in-depth and name a bunch of names but Ryan Merkley is the the biggest enigma going into this draft and a defenseman and he's a guy, if you just looked at his talent, you know, he'd be arguably the best defenseman available, especially offensive defenseman. There's no question on his skill level on the offensive side of the puck. You know, he has probably the best hockey sense of any defenseman available. 
He has the best offensive capability. He's a guy who could be a power play quarterback. But the rest of his game defensively is poor and at times can be very bad. And that's not a good sign when defensively he's poor in the OHL. You don't know how that's going to continue to translate into the NHL. You would assume it would just continue to get worse. And he has a lot of off-ice issues as well with fights with teammates, uh, not really respecting authority with uh, his coaching staff. He's a guy that is being projected anywhere from going middle to late first round all the way maybe dropping to the second round. If you're willing to take a risk and this guy turns out, he could be the type of defenseman the Ducks have been looking for for a long time. A guy, I mean, I guess we expected Brandon Montour maybe to be that power play quarterback and a guy who you really look for to just produce offense on your blue line. I mean, the Ducks could use that guy. Really, you know, we've, we talk about them not really having a guy who can put up consistently 50, 60 points from the blue line. If this guy ends up, you know, fulfilling his potential, figuring out some things on the defensive side of the puck, he's going to be a real steal for whatever team gets him in. And if, honestly, if he's available for the Ducks at 23 or 22 or 21 or wherever they draft, you know, it's, it's a big risk to take. But I think with the prospects they currently have in the system, you can afford to take that risk and just hope you know, he ends up being a guy, an Eric Carlson type of player instead of a Ryan Murphy type of player. Well, there you guys have it. That's the prospect rundown. I don't want to pretend like I know half the guys that Eddie's talking about because I don't. Um, that's something I need to, I need to brush up on there, honestly. <laughs> but I, I'm glad you know about those guys. That really helps out everyone here who needs to know about our draft prospects for Anaheim. And uh, shout out to Gordon Bombay. We understand, man, there's still some audio going on. I, I appreciate it. It's just poor internet connection for those listening we apologize for that we should be back and ready for next show obviously we're going to do one uh relatively soon but uh bear with us here we got just a few more things we would like to cover do you want to hop over to free agency that's exciting because the ducks have some money falling off books which means there's gonna be room to add some players and uh we've been talking about the scoring touch being needed and not sure that uh I don't know. Not sure that we're going to get what we paid for for next year. So we got to add maybe a player or two. Who are you thinking? Um, we just talked about centers being an issue long term, but we also think the defense is probably the hole to fill right now. Let's start there. Who's the defenseman not named Ian Cole? <laughs> I was going to say you and know not, we'll be who fair, I'm going to pick. <laughs> and, not named, and not named Mike Green. So my pick and your pick gone. So, obviously, we talked about Mike Green being offensive, injury-prone, and Ian Cole, uh, well, you know, I guess we'll see where he lands. Obviously, he's not up at that when you're talking about offensive production defensively. If you had to pick going around this defensive uh, free agency, who would you go for? It's tough because outside of those two, in my opinion, there's not really a lot of guys available that move the needle. I mean – it gets really bleak the farther you go down the list here. But if they're looking for a guy who can provide offense, like you said, Mike Green was was an easy pick, and, and from there it kind of goes down. You know, uh, Brandon Manning out of Philadelphia is a UFA. He, he's a guy that plays on the edge, can provide offense at times. Maybe you look to go there, and, and I, mean, I guess he fits the type of style the Ducks have employed for so long where they're looking for those gritty – uh, guys who like to play on the edge, he would make a lot of people hate the Ducks a lot more, especially Penguins fans, because of the way Brandon Manning plays. Uh, so he could be a guy they go after. Thomas Hickey, uh, out of the Islanders, he's a UFA this year, put up 24 points in 68 games. 
was a plus 19 somehow on an Islanders team that just wasn't good defensively this year. You know, I know plus minus pretty much means nothing, but at least that's something to look towards if you're looking for some positives. He could be a guy the Ducks look to put on their bottom pairing, as well as Kelvin DeHaan, who also had 12 points in 33 games with the Islanders. So I guess I would go to those guys. Again, you know, they, they probably are a better fit than Marcus Pedersen and Andy Belinsky because they've, they've played, you know, a, a decent amount of time. I think Hickey averaged just over 18 minutes with the Islanders. Uh, Calvin DeHaan un, under 19 minutes. Uh, so, and Brandon Manning just under 18. So they, they played a consistent amount of time and the, the bottom pairings for their team. So maybe, you know, if I had to pick a guy other than Mike Green, who's probably going to cost a lot, or Ian Cole, who would be my normal pick, I think yeah, I would go with those three guys. I know I picked you asked for well, one. You, but... <laughs> you wouldn't go with Clayton Stoner? Oh, look at Gordon Bombay chimed in right when I said it. Yeah, you wouldn't go with Clayton Stoner? He's a UFA. I don't know. I've, I've seen him put a, a couple things. He seems to be enjoying himself right now on Instagram. So I, I don't think he's uh, wanting to come back to the NHL anytime soon. Let me throw one out there that's not really been talked about. I think he's not been utilized correctly. Uh, is Cody Franzen. Yeah. What do you think about him? There was a lot of talk, uh, I think, when he went on waivers, where there was some people that were looking to him for him to come to Anaheim. And I don't think he ended up getting picked up by anybody. Uh, had some very good underlining numbers, uh, but there's still some issues, I think, with the eye test that a lot of people have with Cody Franzen. And, uh, you know, he, he had some, some good underlying numbers, like I said, with Chicago. Uh, but again, you know, he keeps getting waived. He's a guy that keeps, for some reason, getting dropped from teams, yet his numbers look like he should be a guy that people are looking to pick up, and then nobody picks him up. You know, there's something there that, that we're not seeing, and that a lot of teams are seeing. So that's that's my worry with him, because, you know, if he was so good, and if everybody else, a lot of people in the analytics community think that he'd be a great pickup, but for some reason he's not. There has to be something there that we're missing, and there's a reason why teams aren't taking a flyer on him. That's what I'd be worried about with Cody Franzen because I don't know what that is, but there's obviously something there because he can't seem to find a consistent home on a blue line in the National Hockey League. So let's move on to the forward group then. Who could we add as a forward coming in? We know the guys are going to get paid. You're looking at James Neal's going to get paid. You could kind of throw him off. You could look at Evander Kane. He's going to get paid, obviously, for what he's done in the regular season with 54 points, plus his postseason against Anaheim. He's not going to come. Uh, looking at John Tavares, obviously not happening. So who is? I mean, I don't want Rick Nash. 33. Uh, you need to see what he's not doing for Boston in the playoffs right now. If you've been watching, he's been getting chances, not burying them. Um, you look at a guy like, I know we always say JVR, I mean, he's going to get paid too, though. 36 yeah. goals last season. Um, where can the Ducks look for offense? And you're going to have to look at somebody fleet of foot with this new system that uh, Bob Murray is apparently going to throw up all over Randy Carlisle. Uh, who is the target for Anaheim? Now, I put out a tweet at the time when Murray said he was looking for speed, and I was just joking, but I honestly think it could be the way he goes if he thinks that adding faster oh, players no. are going to make this no. team a faster team. The one was um, Michael Grabner is probably the oh, fastest guy on. available. I personally was a guy that could be for him at the trade deadline. Now, as a long-term acquisition, I don't think so. I feel like he maybe could have made the Ducks better uh, at the deadline. I think, of, of course, he's a better pickup than Jason Chimera and uh, Chris Kelly as the guys who the Ducks picked up at the deadline. But long term, you know, he's not going to sign a one year deal. You would you would think that at thirty, he'd be looking for at least a two, three, four year deal. 
it's not wise, I think, for the Ducks to do that. Uh, and then the other guy is Yannick Hansen, who is UFA with the San Jose Sharks. If you're looking at speed, those are your two guys. I don't think they make this team faster. I don't think they're wise pickups for the Ducks. But just based off Murray's comments, I could see him going that way, similar to when he picked up Carl Hagelin to add speed to this lineup. And and I think it would have the same result where it just it wouldn't work out as you'd expect it to. And, and maybe the guy that I would look to, and, and you had brought him up at the trade deadline, was Thomas Vanek. And, you know, he yeah. had a good season overall. He has looked pretty good with Columbus. He's fit in on their power play. Uh, you know, he's a guy that could fit in on this team. But, again, if you're trying to move and be a faster team, he doesn't really help that. He's not a fast guy. You know, he's a guy that sets up in his spot and tries to pick top corner. He's a guy that likes to shoot the puck. Uh, and he doesn't like to move a lot, and he's not that fleet of foot. So I don't know. Honestly, Like I feel like without these comments, maybe we could look at it and say, yeah, we know what direction he's going to go in. These are guys he could target. But with him, look, you know, it's kind of vague in him saying he wants to add speed to this lineup, but maybe that doesn't mean adding faster players, but maybe it does. Like I really don't know which direction he could go. I just don't think – the only thing I can really say with certainty is that they don't go after the big names like – John Tavares, David Perron, Evander Kane, James Van Riemsdyk. I just don't think the Ducks have the salary space to make that work. I love the comments, by the way. Yeah, I just Bombay, I just Drew. checked in on it. <laughs> See Patty Maroon, names like, Joffrey Lupo, yeah. Genla, Dome, Yager. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, Yager said he wasn't done. So, I mean, crazy. he's playing in he's the Czech done. League right now, but maybe he's... And uh, he got destroyed on a dirty hit. I hope he's okay. I mean, I'm sure I know he's okay, year. but I mean, I hope it doesn't affect his, <laughs> his head. Um... There were people who For wanted Yager in Anaheim this year, by the way. I was one of them. <laughs> you want? I'm not kidding. No, we're going to get down a rabbit hole. I was, hole I was definitely I on the Yager bandwagon. I'm not bringing it up. <laughs> we, I, I Power play guy. Power yeah. play guy. Yeah, because it worked home, out yeah. so well in Calgary. Oh, come on. Calgary was, a, you know, has all kinds of other problems there. They, they fired Golos in and brought in Bill Peters. Anyway, that's an NHL topic. Um if I could pick anybody, I know I said it last show and it's cheating, but I would say David Perron, but he's going to get paid 66 yeah. points, 50 assists and 70 games, almost a point per play or a point per game guy. And only making 3.75 in Vegas. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, he's probably going to bring in. <sighs> Jesus, you're right. He's going like to he bring in probably go back to, I mean, Perron could probably go back to Vegas. I mean, and unless Vegas wants to make a run at Eric Carlson, I mean, they could probably still afford David Perron and make a run at Eric Carlson if James Neal's money comes off the books, right? So I could see him going back to there, especially if they want to make a run at it again next year, which you would assume they want to. So that's that's where I think he goes. Uh, and I just see a lot of these big names. Like, I would assume Evander Kane re-signs with the Sharks. You would assume Paul Stastny would like to re-sign with the Winnipeg Jets, obviously at less than the seven and a half million he makes now, but and John Tavares, you know the Ducks. I don't think they have a shot at him. It'd be more of a team like maybe going back to the Islanders or the Blues or the Sharks that we talked about before. So the Ducks don't have a shot at these big names, and unfortunately that leaves guys like you said, Michael Krabner, Yannick Hansen, as uh, targets for Bob Murray if he's looking to make this team quicker, which it doesn't. You know, adding a fast player doesn't make a team quicker per se. So. I feel like that's the unfortunate route we can expect. So much uncertainty um, for us to be, you know, talk about here because we don't know exactly where what kind of system is going to be employed yeah. on the team. So it'll be really interesting to see what draft day holds for the Ducks. 
I want to throw this uh, the next part of the show before we wrap over to the chat. Do you guys have any questions for us right now that you want us to answer? Do you have anything that uh, you guys want to ask us about just in terms of our content going forward or something about the Ducks to get our opinion on? Anybody who's live would like to hear this. I know this doesn't really help anybody who's listening to this the day after, but yeah. you're going to pop well, when, the when we're waiting, because we did have a question from Chase earlier that we didn't get to when we were talking about the defense. Uh, he asked, do we think Jakob Larson will be a bottom-pairing guy next year? Will he be in a seventh defenseman role? He's definitely going to get the shot. He's yeah. definitely going to get that shot because obviously Walensky and Pedersen didn't look great together. Now there's no Boschman and there's no Bieksa. So as it stands right now, yeah, he's going to get a shot at that for sure. Yeah. Uh, whether or not he's going to make it, I think they're going to stay with Pedersen up there unless Larson really, really, really impresses just because Pedersen lasted you know, quite a few games and played in the playoffs. So he's, he's the guy they've trusted uh, before everybody else, it seems like. Yeah, but like the, the... – the thing is, like, does he get a shot, though? Because I think we expected him to get a shot this year, and he didn't. And, you know, obviously the call-up at the end of the year is just an end-of-the-year call-up, but we were all kind of hopeful he'd get in for game four and didn't. And, you know, we were the small sample size we got from him two seasons ago, he looked good. We felt like he probably could have fit, fit on this team at the time, ended up going back to Sweden. He's looked okay with the goals this year, but they just seem reluctant to call him up and maybe it's just trying to be patient with a guy they they think is going to be a gem for them on the blue line or maybe there are some issues there i don't know i feel like out of training camp we'll get a better idea of how they feel out of him if they send him right back to san diego uh, right off the bat no matter how good or bad his training camp is that's not a good look Uh, but i I feel like he's a guy that needs to they need to take a hard look at at the beginning of the year and at least play in the first couple of games, depending on who they get, of course. If they get some veteran guys or some guys who are consistently in a, a, a you know a top six defensive role, then I understand maybe not having him be on the team to start the season. I don't think at any point is he ever going to be a seventh guy. There's no point in having him on the lineup and not playing. I feel like he's either in San Diego or he's in the lineup for the Ducks. Yeah, and Pedersen played 22 games. Uh, for the Ducks this season. So that's big numbers for a kid. And he was on the plus side of things. I know that we said that plus minus isn't the greatest stat, but that's always a good sign considering who he was played with. One goal, three assists. Um, not bad. He had more goals than Kevin Bieksa. Just throwing that out there. Just trying to take a little dig, I know. But it's the facts. Um, yeah, man, that's all I've got on this season cap. Uh, I feel like the Ducks have a lot to look forward to when it comes to changes. When it comes to making decisions, it's going to be great to see what Randy Carlisle is going to be uh, employing on on uh, on this team because they really need to figure it out quick because this team's not the, the fastest team and the system is definitely broken. So I'm looking forward to see what uh, Randy Carlisle has in store for our Ducks. Yeah, it's, it's like cautious optimism for next season in a way. I mean, we're all, I guess, kind of disappointed that Randy Carlisle is going to be back next season but we kind of just have to go with it i mean i mean we you and me for sure expected him to be back there's a lot of people i think that were really really surprised but again i was i was always going off murray's comments from the deadline that he wrote in the athletic i felt like those really spoke to what he felt this team could do next year and he felt like the injuries were just pretty much a cop-out for this entire season and and really randy carla was getting a get out of jail free card and was blaming everything essentially on the injuries no matter what happened when all the players are back healthy no matter what happened in the playoffs so 
that's uh, that's how I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking at going into next season. Is you know I'm consciously optimistic. I feel like getting Patrick East back is going to help. It's not going to it's not going to make this team all of a sudden a contender. But having him back, having Cam Fowler back healthy, hopefully having a rehabbed Ryan Kessler at least starting the season with everybody completely healthy, maybe having a reworked third pairing on defense, and then getting a, a complete uh, Vesna season from John Gibson is going to bode well for the Ducks. I don't think they're going to be favorites next year, but I think with all those things going right for them, they, they could definitely make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, we should expect a, a similar season. Maybe improved upon if they get a faster system that we've been yeah. talking about. So I'm, I'm kind of with you in the same boat. Drew ends up bringing up a question, a couple of them for us in, in chats. We appreciate that, Drew. What do you guys have planned for the summer, non-hockey-wise? Uh, I know that you are busy, Eddie, but uh, for me... Right now, I'm in between jobs, so I'm looking for a job right now. So I'm going to be doing that. Also, looks like I'm going to be hitting a road trip from Colorado back to California, which is going to be fun. I'm meeting my wife out there. She travels for work a lot. So flying out there, meeting her, and driving back for a week in July, that's my big plans. And then, of course, uh, my daughter plays ice hockey, uh, travel hockey, so her season's starting back up pretty soon. So that's just going to fill my summer with clinics and practicing, which I love. So hockey filled summer for me, even away from the rink. Yeah, uh, and, for, even away, sorry, even away from the TV with the NHL, rather. Yeah, and uh, I mean it's a hockey filled summer for me because, of course, we'll be doing trying to get content on this show. We'll get into that a little bit more in a bit, but we're going to be trying to put content on here. I'll be doing stuff on ducks and pucks, and I'll be um, with an internship with the Niagara Ice Dogs over the summer. So it'll be complete hockey because I'll be working most of my time there in uh, St. Catharines or in Niagara, essentially, with them. Which would be very interesting if the guy we talked about earlier, Nikhil Thomas, ends up getting drafted by the Ducks because he is a player for the, the Niagara Ice Dogs. He's projected to go not only in the first round, but right around the position where the Ducks will be drafting. And so that could get very interesting for me because I'll be writing up a lot of profiles on him for the draft. And it would just be icing on the cake if I could talk about him being drafted by the Ducks. So it'll be an interesting summer for both of us, I think. But hopefully we can get a lot of content out for this show as well. Yeah, and you know, I, I should have thrown that in there too for the puck guys. I mean, Jason and I are still covering. Yeah. Every week we got a show coming up here this week about the playoffs for round two, and we'll go all the way through the finals. We'll also cover draft stuff. I mean, so you can look for content from both Eddie and I on our other shows as well. But this show, we definitely want to look at some content. If you guys are interested in that kind of content, let us know. We we would love to hear uh, some voices who listen to us regularly. And uh, if you guys have any suggestions for us, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook or wherever. And let us know what you guys want to hear about because Eddie and I are really looking at putting up content, you know, going into the summer. We definitely we talked about doing a draft show, definitely looking at free agency. But if there's other things that we could we could look to uh, to put up for you guys, we'd love to do it. Um, Looking at what Drew said also, I don't go on Ducks Nation much just for the record, just because I end up getting trolled into some bad conversations there. And I end up getting angry at people for being idiots. Um, so that's <laughs> my take on that. But he says, are you okay with Ducks players getting married or, have, or having kids, even though it may negatively affect their play? Who the hell said that? Um, I don't understand what the deal is with people saying that kind of stuff because they're human effing beings and they have yeah. lives and priorities away from a sport. I mean, sports honestly are dumb and we love them. I mean, let's just be honest. They don't really matter. Sports don't matter in in in, uh, in long term life. I mean, they're great and amazing, and we all love them. 
But, I mean, these guys got to live, too, and have families. You can't be getting after people for living outside the sport that pays them. So yeah. that's how I feel about that. that yeah, that's my take. I can't uh, I can't really add to that. That's exactly how I feel. I mean, these guys have lives, and, and hockey is their job, but we all have lives outside of our job. And, you know, we're not expected uh, to not have families because we have our jobs that we have to deal with. It's exactly the same for them. I mean, you know, Corey Perry was a guy that got uh, – a lot of flack for getting married and having a kid and, and how that affected his play. But, you know, of course it's going to affect his play, but you can't you can't criticize the guy for wanting to have a family. I mean, that comes first. And, I mean, I'm not surprised we're seeing it on Ducks Nation. You know, that's kind of what you expect. I mean, the Ducks Reddit at times is essentially the same thing. Not everybody, of course, but there's always some people out there where you see these types of comments where, you know, hockey doesn't come first for these guys. That's what you got to remember, and and it's 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 sad that we see this. But again, I'm not surprised. It's not only the Ducks community we see this. We see this all over the place. In in every hockey fan base, you're gonna have those couple of people who put out something stupid. Uh, at least the majority of people know that they're stupid. I think that's the good thing. No, it's true. I agree. Uh, we got a comment in here from Chase saying we should cover co- uh, prospect camp. I know that might be hard for Eddie. But I plan on going to the camps. I plan on going to training camp as well. So you can look for coverage there for sure. I know that's deeper into summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gordon Mame asked what we do for a living. Um, I'm kind of like, I guess you could say, a project manager. I worked at, I work at tech companies mostly. So that's what I do. Um, and Eddie's crazy because he works and is a full-time student and does podcasts and has a family. <laughs> and he's three hours ahead. And his favorite team is Anaheim. So he got a lot on his plate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean – I mean, if we're talking about full-time careers, then yeah, I'm a student right now. I've got a year left, so it'll be uh, interesting. Hopefully, after that, I'll actually be working in hockey, if, depending on if this internship goes anywhere or not. That's the goal, but yeah, for, for now, unfortunately, I'm a student. Just finished exams literally last week. I'm on the road right now, so again, if you guys were just getting to this point, if you're even if you're live, if you're not live and you're hearing a lot of audio issues and cutouts this time that you're normally not used to, uh, that's my fault. Sorry, I'm on the road, kind of in between places right now because I'm in the middle of a move to St. Catharines to to do my internship. So the Wi-Fi is not necessarily the greatest. So that's why we've had some cutouts on this show. But for the next one, I'll be all moved in, all set up for whatever show we do, whether it be something after this or the draft or free agency or whatever it ends up being. Uh, we'll actually have good internet connection, so you won't have to deal with, as Gwen Rambe said, us sounding like uh, robots. So, uh, dude, you literally cut out as you were saying. That you Perfect were sorry timing. For cutting out, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> if you got all of that, it'll be better for the next show. So, sorry for that was the too funny. <laughs> for the cutouts. Of course, perfect timing when I'm talking about cutouts. I end up cutting out. So, <laughs> so that's great, man. But yeah, no, we appreciate everybody who hopped on live today. Um, you know who you are. You guys are always regulars on here and, and make it fun for us and add to the add to the show's content for sure. That was our season recap. Eddie, do you got anything you want to toss in before we wrap for the night? No, I think that's it. Just keep keep tuned. We'll we'll have like I said on the last show, if you guys didn't hear the uh the final post game show of the season, we we still will be having a giveaway uh despite Fever Mighty Three Stars being over. We'll be doing it. It will be from Cool Hockey. Not sure if it'll be a jersey or a fifty dollars gift card from Cool Hockey. It'll be one or the other, depending on how we end up splitting that up. But it'll be one of them. So stay tuned. That will be in May, and we'll have that out, and we'll have some content out, like Patrick said earlier. We'll 
try and get something out of it. It all depends on, on what really comes out and what we decide to do. Um, if there's nothing before the draft, then it might just be a draft show that comes up. Uh, but we're, we're working on stuff. So stay tuned. Uh, most of our updates will come out on Twitter, but uh, we do have a Facebook and an Instagram where we put out a lot of updates as well. So if you haven't found them, it's Forever Mighty on Facebook, and I believe it's also just Forever Mighty on Instagram as well. So check those out. Yeah, absolutely. Hit us up. Um, if you haven't already, I know I say it every show, go ahead and go to iTunes, hit subscribe, give us a five star. And if you have 30 seconds to uh, type a nice message about us, that'd be great. Share us everywhere you can to help spread the word. You guys are what makes it happen for us because without you guys, we wouldn't have a show. We'd be talking to nobody and we understand that and appreciate it. Um, we love you guys and talk to you guys soon. Have a good night.